Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It is always great to be saving money and to use technology and to live a more sustainable life. I'm Tim Eccles, the host of Energy Matters, and wow, we have had an adventuresome time recently, and today's show is really going to be looking at the trip that I made to Sapelo Island, this entire effort to get a solar pavilion built on that island to power their library. And, you know, as you think about Sapelo Island, I would imagine, and I've got my producer, Logan, uh, in the studio Logan, I would imagine ninety nine point nine 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 percent of Georgians have never been to Sapelo. Have you ever been to Sapelo? I've not. I've been to Jekyll. I've been to Cumberland. I've been to a lot of the Georgia coastal islands, but have not made it to Sapelo. Yeah. Well, so it's a hundred miles of coastline from you know Tybee all the way down to Cumberland, and Sapelo is an island with some incredible history. And for three hundred years, uh, Gulagichi. Uh, descendants have lived on this island and we're down to like 47 residents in this little 450 plus acre area of Sapelo Island and they've got a library they've got a playground they've got a little commissary but there's there's not much right there uh it's it's it really is if, if I know folks will have a hard time believing this it really is kind of a poor area um and believe it or not, though, Alan Bailey, who was drafted by the Chiefs out of there, he's now back with the Falcons. He's the most famous person probably to ever come out. But I was down on the island helping a constituent, a guy who actually is a, a an attorney for Tony Dungy and a lot of NFL uh, NFL players. And he had bought a piece of land from a, a, a Gullah Geechee descendant and was building a house, quite a nice house, actually. And, uh, and, and Dennis... Dennis is his name, and we got this idea to build a uh, a solar pavilion there uh, to power the library. So this interview coming up uh, is one of the one of the ladies on the on the uh, library board, and we're going to dedicate the whole show to what's going on uh, on Sapelo Island. We interrupt this episode of Energy Matters to take you outdoors on the road again. Hey, it's just Tim Eccles with another segment of Energy Matters on the road or on the boat. We're actually, uh, you can hear the boat in the background. We're cranking up and leaving Sapelo Island. And great, I've got Gracie here uh, who is on the library board and lives on the island. It was great having you yesterday, Gracie, at the event. I enjoyed being there. I was very proud of, of all the people and the work that's been done. As you think about adding technology, adding green energy to a remote place like this. Um, I mean, how important is that, you think, to the University of Georgia officials that are part of the island and other people that, you know, that are that are here and, and they're very proud of this state resource? And, you know, why is this a significant thing? Well, it helps our uh, university kids. They get to, during the summer. They get to go down to the library if they need any extra help. But we have at the university. We have plenty of computers and the library and all. But it's not geared for anything like what what the Hog Hammock Library is. It's. I'm so happy to see the um, the kids of the community be able to have a good place to go a safe place to go and technology because they're all going to need it a lot more than I am. 
You know, it's hot in Athens where I'm from and hot in Atlanta, but it's a it's a different kind of hot down here. We were out yesterday in that heat and it is stunning and so putting some shade in that playground I think it's going to be a great blessing. I think people are going to enjoy those wonderful picnic tables that we that Darian Telephone put under there and that AES Solar were, was involved with and so uh you know, do you see maybe folks of the island taking advantage of the pavilion itself? Yeah, I can see them taking advantage of it. I can see family picnics on the weekends and and more advanced um, activities at the library. Uh, I think it would be really good. And I I know that was it. I think it was you that challenged David Stevens to a better playground for the kids. It would be it'd be really great. They've been doing a lot of good playgrounds in McIntosh County and it'd be great for like my little grandkids to be able to go and Miss Inez's grandkids and uh, Bahari and all of our grandkids to be able to go because it just um, it's a good it's a great place. When I first came here I noticed one of the swings were torn up and I told my team I said, we're going to fix that swing before we leave here. So we wanted to leave this place better than we found it. So we built a $35,000 solar pavilion. We fixed a swing for you, and we put Thompson water seal on all your picnic tables and then your your wood item. Uh, I, I think David Stevens and those guys will come through. I have challenged them. That playground, it's got to be at least 40 years old uh, with the old slide and the old swings. Um, and so uh, I, I love to do that with officials, get them in front of some people and, and, and give them a challenge. Well, as you think about the University of Georgia and their work on the island, why is Sapelo Island an important asset to the University of Georgia? Oh, my goodness. Well, Sapelo Island is the birth of ecology. Uh, Dr. Um, Teal, back in the 50s, he... He made so much um, history with the ecology of the island. We have um, we have students from all over the place. We have students from Wisconsin. We have students from the Netherlands, University of Houston, University of Florida. We even let them here, and um, Kansas. It just it's just crazy. The University of Georgia too. I mean, we have students all the time. That's what I do is take care of all the students that come here. I make all their reservations, make sure they have a clean place to sleep and a vehicle to drive. And it is amazing to see the kids and teachers. We have a lot of teachers in the summer. It just amazes me to see what they do and what and get out in the mud. We have, but we have, um, we have. Um, entomologist we have oh, snake people we have you name it anything that that architecture um, plants it, it's just a, a, a maze of, of opportunities for these kids it's crazy you know I've been to a lot of islands uh, along the Georgia coast and Cumberland Island is certainly a great resource and there's a lot of dirt there, not a lot of pavement, so it's great for walking. But this island is so great for biking. You, you've got roads all over the island. They call that one road the Audubon. Um, so Mr. Reynolds apparently you know, spent a lot of money uh, making these roads. So most Georgians have never been here because you have to get on this ferry boat and take it over there. But it is a, a tremendous resource, a pristine beach, and just... Uh, in a just really just hundreds and hundreds of acres of wildlife and wildflowers and mosquitoes. Uh, oh, let me ask you about these mosquitoes. How do you keep these things off of you? Um, a lot of off and cutter. Um, I used to live in Darien and I had sulfur water, and I said that the sulfur water kept them off of me, but I think I've run out of that because they love me now. We were eat up uh, walking through the marsh, through the nature trail, uh, despite everything we put on us. Uh, but we stayed in that Reynolds mansion. First time I've ever stayed there, uh, Mr. Reynolds' house that's now owned by, by the state of Georgia. 
and uh, certainly uh, an iconic home that he built there. He didn't spare any expense. Uh, uh, he must have been quite wealthy. Uh, so it's a, it's a great resource, and folks can stay there if they bring a group down. It's a great, a great asset. What do you think um, the island's future? How do you see it? Uh, do you see it just really just remaining about the same and being preserved, or do you see it as something that more and more folks can take advantage of? Well, in my view, the um, the people of the island have, a lot of them have had to sell the properties or properties they've died, the families have died, and so the um, I see the, the wealthier people being able to come over here and I've been over here for about 13, almost 14 years and seen the amount of really, really nice houses that's been developed and, and built on the marsh and it's um, it's been a tough time with the, the island people, the residents being able to pay taxes and so you know these somebody can go in there and buy a, the property for almost nothing but a lot of them pay a lot of money for it and um, I don't see I hope I will never ever in my lifetime see a causeway or a um, anything that connects us to the real world because it's it is a a pristine beach. One Fourth of July, a couple of years ago, my family was here, and we were the only people on the beach for hours on Fourth of July. It was wonderful, and you can go down there anytime. There might be ten people, but it's a beautiful beach, and it's all natural. And um, I just thank God every day that I get to stay here. I live on the right on the marsh, and if I wasn't here right now, I'd be out in the marsh fishing. Well, it's been great talking to you, and and thanks for being there yesterday and supporting this uh, Sapelo Solar Project. This is Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make. Like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. BMVW is the place in Metro Atlanta to get your used hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or fully electric car. They're located on the south side near the airport, but it is well worth the drive. Go online to look at their inventory at ev-hybrid.com and set up a time to see the vehicle or even drive it for up to three days. I don't know of anywhere else in Metro Atlanta that you can do that. That's ev-hybrid.com, the best deal in town. ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, this is Commissioner Eccles for another On the Road segment of Energy Matters. And while we're on the boat, boat, we're leaving Sapelo Island, and I've got with me Brad Carver, who is the attorney for the Large Scale Solar Association. And Brad, this is uh, the end of a dream that we've had for about a year. Oh, it's amazing. It's been, a, it's been an incredible trip. I haven't been to Sapelo Island since I was in middle school, and uh, I actually never had uh, was fortunate enough to go to uh, uh, the Reynolds Mansion, and so we got to stay there for the weekend. But uh, really historic uh, installation, and I'll have to give uh, kudos to our uh, chairman, 
uh, Ryan Sanders, the chairman of the Georgia Large Scale Solar Association, he put it all together. He got our members uh, to contribute. Uh, we had uh, Southern Current uh, from Charleston, South Carolina, with a couple of University of Georgia graduates that uh, ran uh, point on doing the installation, and then EDF, uh, which is one of our members, a French company, uh, was con contributed financially to make this happen. And and truly, we think this is going to be a, a great thing for the uh, Hog Hammock community uh, and, and the public library. They're going to see immediate cost savings in their energy. Yeah, let's turn a second to the mission of the Large Scale Solar Association, particularly during the last Integrated Resource Plan. Uh, the, the strategy work that you all had to try to to essentially take advantage of an opportunity that we have in this country with an investment tax credit. I know y'all pushed really hard in, in, in really making the case that there was savings to be had for the ratepayers. And, you know, we were able to do a lot, not quite as much as you all had wanted, but were your members pleased? And how do you feel like this is all going to play out over the next three years? Uh, we were pleased. Uh, Georgia Power had originally proposed a gigawatt or 1,000 megawatts of uh, new uh, uh, large-scale solar, utility-scale solar in the state of Georgia. Uh, we were able to push that number over two gigawatts, more than doubled the, the uh, original request of the Georgia Power Company. And through the leadership of the commission, I think we're, we're very happy. The point we made all along was that uh, the investment tax credit, we think it's going to go away. Um, we kind of see the writing on the wall with the future in the Congress and with the president. Um, that we don't expect that the investment track tax credit will be extended. So literally this is the last bite of the apple we could have to have substantial savings. And frankly, we wanted to see that uh, go to the Georgia ratepayers as opposed to the other 49 states. And I think Georgia took a big step forward. Uh, we are clearly one of the fastest growing solar states. Um, we are great for so many reasons. And uh, frankly, I think it's going to be great for the state in terms of lowering everybody's rates but also substantial investment uh, in South Georgia in particular into areas that desperately need that economic investment. Yeah, let's talk about that a second and how this has benefited Middle and South Georgia because I think the average person uh, in Metro Atlanta, where most of our citizens are, they don't really ever see any of these large arrays. They don't know what's happening. They're, you know, they're watching television uh, on the news and maybe re reading the paper and they're not aware that these large arrays are going in and some of the benefits. Can you kind of recount uh, some of the benefits that communities are receiving as a result of uh, large-scale solar coming into their, their county or their area? Yeah, one of the best examples of that is Twiggs County. Twiggs County is one of the poorest counties in our state, uh, and they, they got a 200-megawatt project from the Georgia Power uh, utility-scale program. It has been a tremendous investment in that community. In fact, it actually doubled the tax base of the entire county. So uh, the, the, the great news story we had for the opening of that solar facility was they literally had one of their fire stations closed. They didn't have the Avalorum tax base to be able to continue to support one of the fire stations in their county. And due to this investment, they're going to be able to reopen that fire station, which is going to be a huge deal for the people in that community because otherwise without fire coverage, their fire insurance rates went through the roof. Yeah, if you think about some of the other things that, that increasing that tax digest and having more Avalorum taxes do, maybe that's a better ball field. Maybe that's a nicer library. Maybe that's an extension to something, another ambulance, as you said, a fire station. There are a lot of benefits maybe that residents or or citizens don't really think about when you, when you increase the value of land. And this land uh, down in South Georgia is under, often underutilized and poorly valued, and this adds a lot of value to it. Why is it putting solar increases the value of land? What's amazing about it, and this is why these local communities compete so uh, heavily for these projects, is that, uh, frankly, it's just free investment in the county. These projects don't need fire protection or fire uh, police protection or school systems or jails or any other county infrastructure and so you, you it's just a really infusion of resources into these communities that desperately need it uh, and there's no corresponding increase in services that are required for the investment so uh, that's exactly what it is and that's that's why these communities will uh, are, are you know compete heavily to try to get these projects 
you think about the large-scale solar association uh, being involved with big projects yet what they've sponsored here on sapelo is really a tiny project is it's really uh i think showing the value that solar can have even on a small facility like the library why were they so why were they so committed to to wanting to give back in this way well, it's a great question, and, and I'll tell you that, that really our Georgia Large Scale Solar Association, which represents the utility scale interest in the state, was closely aligned with the Georgia Distributed Generation Group, which is, which is again, those are one to three megawatt projects. Those are, we would call those medium scale projects. And even the small scale projects, a lot of those are behind the meter or customer installed or rooftop installations. Uh, we frankly think it, it, it's, it's good for the state economically as well as obviously for the environment too. This particular project here on Sapelo Island, we just saw the need and we also thought this would be a great opportunity to showcase what solar can do for a community. And, and frankly, the more uh, folks see it, state of Georgia, et cetera, we think that this can be replicated in other places as well. You know, when I first took office in 2000. 10 republicans weren't really engaged in solar we had just seen the whole solyndra thing happen and uh, where they had gone bankrupt and then uh, you know basically the ratepayers had subsidized this and so there was a, a a bad taste in the mouth of of republicans in particular but that seems to have changed now what what has been the factors that's led to more republican support of solar yeah, and, and I, you're exactly right. I mean, we've been battling that for several years now. I've been representing the Georgia Large Scale Solar Association for four years now. And we, 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 we called it the Fox News Solyndra. We, we had to break some of the stereotypes about solar. And the truth is that, that really Georgia and the Georgia Public Service Commission have done this the right way. They've wait, waited till the price point has got to the point that we don't need subsidies. We don't need mandates. Uh, and frankly, Georgia, the state of Georgia has been able to benefit off of the subsidies that have been used by California and uh, New York, New Jersey, these other blue states that have invested in solar for many years, as well as overseas, Germany in particular. So the truth is that a lot of states did a lot of investments early on where it wasn't cost competitive. There were subsidies, there were mandates in place. Georgia has waited till such point as the price is truly below avoided cost. So every one of these kilowatt hours that are gonna be brought, whether it's the large scale program, the medium scale distributed generation program, or even the behind the meter program, all of those will be done below at or below avoided cost, which means that every one of those projects will lower rates for every Georgian, and then we all benefit from that. We've got a busy year at the commission with a, a rate case for Georgia Power and AGL, and rates are going to go up. That's not going to be a good news story for us. We've had delays on Vogel. This solar story is really one of the brightest lights coming out of the commission. Where do you see us going in the future? Do you feel like now we have all the solar that we can handle or all that we need? Or do you feel like that in three years when we tee all this up again, that there's going to be more opportunity? Well, let me just say this too. We, we've branded this. We, 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 we call this red state solar and, and we call it that for a reason. Um, you know, obviously we have five Republican commissioners on the Public Service Commission. They're their overall number one objective is to look out for the ratepayers of Georgia, and that's exactly the way they've done this program since the very first time uh, in 2013, the Integrated Resource Plan hearings back in 2013 that you, Commissioner Eccles, were part of. Every one of the solar installations that have been done have been two lower rates for the ratepayers. So frankly, I think we've done it the right way, and also think because we were we didn't get everything in this IRP, I think there's still a lot of meat on the bone, so to speak. There's still a lot of opportunities for us in the 2019 uh, integrated resource, or excuse me, the 2022 IRP hearings. And, and we think that's probably the last opportunity to do a renewable program. Beyond that, I see solar plus storage competing in an all resource procurement manner where it can compete against natural gas or coal or any other resource and actually win on price. So I do think there's probably one more bite at the apple for us to do a renewable pr procurement. But beyond that, I think our solar folks realize that they'll be able to compete head to head uh, with these other energy sources. 
And, and, and let, me, let me comment on that for a second because I do think the future is storage. And so, you know, I think the, the commission made a big investment. This, this IRP with an 80 megawatt project for Georgia Power to investigate storage. And I think that's going to be our future. Well, we're with Brad Carver and we're on the, the ferry heading back from Sapelo Island to Darien to the mainland. Brad, thanks so much for your leadership and for working with this association to do such a great deed for the folks here on Sapelo and Hog Hammock. Oh, thank you. My pleasure, Commissioner Eccles. So, so glad, great to be with you this weekend. This is Tim Eccles. You've been listening to Energy Matters on the Road. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. Reducing pollution from the transportation industry is an important goal, and few alternative vehicle fuels offer the distinct advantages of compressed natural gas. I myself drive an F-150 CNG pickup. Marlin Compression, part of Marlin Gas Services, is helping to usher in this clean energy future to the Port of Savannah, too. Not only is Marlin Compression a trusted provider of CNG for fleet fueling, they are also working with Port Fueling Center on a state-of-the-art CNG truck fueling facility. Learn more about the distinct economic and environmental advantages of using natural gas for trucking fleets of all sizes and explore all of Marlin services by visiting MarlinCompression.com. That's MarlinCompression.com. Calculate your savings today. Commissioner Eccles here with Energy Matters on the road, actually way off the road on Sapelo Island because we couldn't even take we couldn't even take a car over here. Had to take a boat. I'm here with Nettie and I'm in the church. I'm at First African Baptist. We're about I'm about to preach a me- preach a message, but I've got a very special guest here. Miss Nettie, uh, tell me about this church and uh, about, you know, why you come back over here from the mainland uh, to worship. I'm a third-generation descendant of Sapelo, and I came, grew up in the Raccoon Bluff community that's north of here, where our original church is located. It was established in 1866. There were five communities on Sapelo, and Raccoon Bluff at one time was the largest community. But as the population began to decline, uh, Mr. Reynolds, R.J. Reynolds, who was the last private owner of the island, encouraged the people to move to where we are located now in Hog Hammock. We have a new church here, but our old church is on the National Register of Historic Places. And we try to have at least three services at the church to keep it alive. This church meets where we are now. We meet the first Sunday in each month. At the present time, we do not have a pastor, but we still have visiting ministers to come, one of whom is the son of the island, Reverend James Banks, Jr., and his late father was a deacon of this church. So Reverend Banks, there, Reverend James, this is Reverend William Banks, and he is the uh, superintendent of the Sunday school and the former chairman of the deacon board. Uh, We don't have a very large congregation, but we have a choir, 
We have Sunday school, the first Sunday in every month, and I am the adult Sunday school teacher. Fred Hay teaches the high school and middle school children, and his wife, Renee Hay, is also the third Sunday school teacher, and she teaches all the elementary children. Fred is also one of the musicians here because he is the guitarist for our church. So Fred uh, was uh, really instrumental in helping us get the solar facility built over here. He's the island manager. He works for the Department of Natural Resources. So Fred's really an integral part of this community, isn't he? He definitely is. He's the first island manager that I know who has taken such an interest in the island. And whatever goes on, he is a part of it. Not only does he uh, help at this church, but he's also well-establishedly known at St. Luke. (coughs) St. Luke is the other church, but both churches and the one in Rackland Bluff, they're all Baptist churches. Yeah, so that's good. I'm a Baptist minister, so that that I'll fit I'll fit right in here. You know, most Georgians have never been to Sapelo, uh, let alone set foot in this the first African Baptist church. How long has this church been here? This one has been here uh, like twenty, almost thirty years, I believe. It was um, built with the help of the fourth Mrs. Reynolds and. The congregation, uh, even members who no longer live here, still come back for our anniversaries, and they help to contribute toward the upkeep of the church. The church, as I said, was established in 1866, so then the first Sunday in May of every year, we celebrate the church anniversary. Well, let me ask you, we've heard all kind of stories. We've been staying at the Reynolds Mansion this weekend. We've heard, heard all kind of stories about wild cows and, and different things. What's the scariest thing you've ever seen on this island? Rattlesnakes. That's, that's what I've feared most. But we, um, the wild cows <clears throat> were here. Mr. Reynolds had a dairy here. In fact, the first owner was uh, Thomas Spaulding. And farming was done then, and they even had a sawmill here at that time. The wild cows, when Mr. Reynolds left, they just let the cows go, and they just wander around the island. Now, during hunting season, they, the hunters come, and it's, they use a lottery system to get uh, a chance to hunt. They can shoot wild hogs, wild cows, deer, and bird, uh, wild turkeys. Wow. So what what is it about the the island? You're on the mainland now, but what is what is what is it about island life and island culture that you most want to preserve? It's so it's always been a family oriented island. I'm just grateful because I came here when I was 2 years old. I'm a polio survivor and I contacted polio when I was 2 and so my grandmother wanted my mother to bring me to a better climate. I was born in New York City, but when I came here, I stayed until I finished the seventh grade. At that time, our schools, we had two on the island, and the schools only went through the seventh grade. After that time, that was one of the reasons people left the island. They left to further their education or for job possibilities. And I left and went to Savannah, and from there, Norwalk, Connecticut, where I went to high school. You know, the uh, the folks that have to go off the mainland to work or to school, it's very cumbersome to, you know, have to have to live live that life every day. That's something, I mean, we deal with the traffic in Atlanta, but we don't have to deal with a ferry boat uh, and making sure that we catch catch the ferry boat. As you think about... You know, the island's future. You know, uh, you know, as more and more people leave or sell their land. I mean, what what, what is the future of the hog hammock community here and in the island? The, the thing that I worry most about is that the young people are not coming back. They leave for educational purposes and they leave for job opportunities, but very few return now. 
I didn't establish residence here on the island, but my niece has a house here, and all these people you see I'm related to, as I can think back, there are only three families that we were not related to. Uh, these two ladies you saw, um, you spoke with Lula's daughter, Sharon. The other lady who has just come in, her late husband was a deacon here, Deacon Banks's brother. And when I mentioned the minister that helps us out and come now that we don't have one, but we are looking for one, this is Mrs. Banks, and she's the mother of Reverend James Banks. This is the mother of the church here, but, and the, uh, that's a Banks also. <laughs> that's Mrs. Bernice Banks. Well, we're going to, it's almost 11 o'clock and I'm the preacher, so I'm going to wrap up this interview and just say God bless you and, and, uh, and God bless everyone here in Hog Hammock and it's wonderful to be a part of it. Thanks for being on our show. And I have to tell you that I'm a 43 years retired educator. I've taught for 43 years and retired in 2006 and that's when I came back to Georgia. I now live in Brunswick. But I retired from Delaware State University, where I taught English. And Well, thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much for coming, and we cannot thank you and your group enough for what you have done for the library. We didn't have a library when I was growing up, and I, anything I can do, I promise to do for the library. That story... Miss Nettie, dedicating the library to Dr. Carolyn Douse. And uh, got Logan Booker uh, just conversing with me here. Logan, the the expression on this 94-year-old woman's face when we uncovered her name atop this $35,000 pavilion, uh, that's certainly the highest piece of technology on the entire island. As we uncovered this, she was stunned. It's chills. I, w- I want to hit the road with you, Tim. This yeah. is amazing stuff. So, uh, you know, sh- she started this library way back when. And, and, and folks, you just kind of understand how difficult it is to live out here. This is not Sea Island or Jekyll or St. Simons. This is, this is an island where kids that want to that, that go to school hop on a ferry boat, go to the mainland, and then catch a bus. Mm. Uh, and then come back in the afternoon, and if they're late for the ferry bus, their parents have figured, got to figure out how to get another boat over there. And, and uh, we complain when we don't have air conditioning, Tim. And, and these guys are it's, – it's incredible. It really is. And, and this, this pavilion that was built by Yellowwood, they provided the, they provided the lumber, and Southern Current, two UGA guys who owned this solar company, and EDF, a French company – because this island had some French roots, they really wanted to do something for the folks there. This power powers the entire library and feeds a little bit back on the grid during the daytime. So in just 48 hours, it had fed about 25 kilowatt hours back onto the grid. So my calculations is that we're going to be able to not only provide daytime power for this pavilion, but we're going to essentially cover cover by feeding back onto the grid all their nighttime power. Great it's, work, a, Tim. it's a great story. Hey, Tim Eccles here, host of Energy Matters. Solar's growing like crazy in Georgia, and I certainly say buyer beware. It's great to have companies like Creative Solar USA on the job. Russ, why do folks need to reach out to you? Tim, we're going on to our 14th year, and we have the best staff and most experienced installers in the state to get the job done right. You can find out more at creativesolarusa.com or call 770-485-7438. That's creativesolarusa.com. Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters, here with Jeff Pratt of Green Power EMC. Jeff, more and more EMCs are offering solar to their members, and you're seeing it grow like crazy across rural Georgia. Tim, you're right. Co-ops in Georgia are doing a great job of deploying solar across the state. In fact, they're leaders in the country with respect to engaging customers and deploying large-scale solar to benefit all their members. Hey, contact your EMC and ask them about their solar energy policy, or just Google Green Power EMC.
This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. Hey, welcome everyone back to Energy Matters Live. My co-host, Casey Boyce. Casey, how's it going? Good. Good morning to you, Tim. Casey, we just have celebrated Black History Month in the midst of celebrating Black History Month. For our radio listeners who are familiar with the Gullah Geechee solar array that we did down on Sapelo Island, this was just an incredible project that's going to be providing electricity to them for decades. What a neat project, Tim. I mean, it's really cool to hear uh, more about um, kind of how that came to be and and the impact that it's going to have. Um, what, Tim, as you kind of look back on that project that you did, what did you take away from it? Like, what did you learn as a, you know, as a commissioner or someone who's engaged in, in the state? Yes, solar's harder than it looks. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 you... you you may think it's not a complicated technology, but I have it on my house, you have it on your house, and it's more than just putting a few panels up there. You've, you've got to make sure you're pointing in the right direction, that your roof is in good shape, you don't have too many shade trees, that your homeowners association will allow it. And then you've got other equipment, Casey, that's, you know, that's important to actually uh, you know, doing net metering, if you happen to live in an area that does net metering, I'm a member of Jackson EMC, and they do. I had not, after I got my solar array, Casey, I had not connected to Enphase and set all that up and make sure that I had green lights. And because uh-huh. I didn't have green lights on that Enphase, I wasn't, I wasn't using any of that power. It was being spilled. If you do put solar on your house, you need to work with your solar developer or vendor, whoever's done that, to make sure that you've got everything hooked up right. Uh, just because the panels are up there doesn't mean they're actually working. Yeah. You know, when I had my solar installed, um, there are a couple of different ways that you can install and then track the amount of energy that you're using through the Enphase system. And my installer had it set up uh, kind of the opposite way of how it should. So it was showing all of my consumption as production, which uh, I started looking at it, it as like, eh, that's probably not right. Um, you know, they were able to fix it really quickly. But, you know, I don't know if you had to do this for Jackson EMC. I'm a Georgia Power customer. And as part of the interconnection, they actually had to reprogram my meter to enable me to export uh, power back to the grid. Yes, I had to get, uh, I think, a new meter uh Jackson does it a little bit different than Georgia Power. I think Georgia Power just reprograms and maybe adds a chip. All of those AMI meters, Casey, they, and I said this, you know, from the beginning, they were really dumb meters. They weren't that smart until you added the chips and the other things. They were capable of being smart, but they weren't, they weren't born smart. Uh, so you, you actually had to do things to them to make them to make them smart. So, Casey, another thing uh, on the Sapelo array, it wasn't until I saw their power bill and how little they were getting on what they were putting back on the grid because they're putting a lot back on the grid. This is a, a very large pavilion that powers their library. Uh, so it's not on top of their double-wide library. It's actually out by the playground uh, because they didn't want any holes penetrating the roof of this old library because they have a lot of archives in there uh, on Gullah history and and all this happened on Sapelo. And so we built, with the help of Yellowwood, we built a separate pavilion. And when I saw how little they were getting back, I, I, I said to uh, Ryan Sanders and Brad Carver and the others, this is not, this is not real effective. <laughs> and they said, Commissioner, that's why we've been wanting to do net metering. And it was after that that James Marlowe and Thatcher uh, Young came in and said, hey, how about let's try that again? And the timing was perfect, and I was able to get commission support, and we created that pilot program 
for net metering that allowed those additional 5,000 customers. Yeah, I mean, it's a really important point, particularly for institutional customers like the the library, right? Lots of faith communities, um, you know, they're using more power during certain times of uh, certain times of the week, you know, Sunday morning, maybe Saturday evening, Wednesday evening, those kinds of things. Um, and so if they put solar on, which a lot of faith communities have, that solar is just going back to the grid every other time, right? And, you know, I've run into this with the nonprofit that I work with in Western North Carolina, which is a Haywood EMC uh, customer. We have something like 20 different meters and we've got solar on a couple of buildings there, but it's it's tough because you've got to match the production to the usage unless you've got net metering there. It, it just doesn't make as much financial benefit, right? That's right, Casey. Um, you know, we're doing these Energy Matters Awards and one of the awards is for a sustainability project to a needy community. Uh, How did we describe it uh, in the award? Best sustainability project to an unserved community is how we said that. That sounds right. And if you ever go to Sapelo and you ever ride through the Hog Hammock community, you will come back and you go, wow, this is textbook for underserved right here. The people are isolated by an island. There's no bridge. They have to take their kids mm-hmm. have to take ferries to school. If they miss the ferry, you got to have somebody with a, another boat to go get your kids to get them back home. Um, there's no grocery store on the island. There's one little store with very expensive things. If you bring anything on the island or take anything off the island, like old cars or you know an old refrigerator, you you've got to you've got to wait a long time. You got to pay. Uh, it's it's a very difficult life out there. We're, we're not talking about, you know, the rich and famous lifestyle out there. This is a, a very poor black community that's been on Sapelo for a very long time. Yeah, and it's an interesting study in contrast, right, when you look at the, the history of the Golden Isles and, you know, the fact that, you know, a number of them were essentially playgrounds of the, the rich and famous, um, you know, back in the, the early 20th century. Um, and, you know, Tim, you've been doing some work on this uh, recently, haven't you? You know, I am, you know, I, I don't have a PhD in history. Uh, I do have a couple of master's degrees from UGA and actually had applied for a PhD in history and, and got rejected, unfortunately. And I wound up just doing another master's. The professors did not like my dissertation title that I was going to do. At UGA, when you do a PhD in history, you have to pick a professor and he or she has to approve you and the dissertation in advance. I was going to do the history of uh, Doe v. Bolton. It was related to the abortion issue. Uh, according to a professor at Georgia that really liked me, he said, Tim, you're too controversial for that history department. <laughs> and they did huh. not want me uh, over there. So I went back to the Grady College where I had taken a lot of schools, journalism school, and, and just got another master's. So, so you just never know, you know, how these things work uh, in case you've you know, you've got a master's from, from Georgia State, and you know how, you know, as you get to know these professors, I mean, they're very committed to their field, and, uh, and you know, they want other academics following suit, and so they guard the academy. I think they guard it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Casey, I'm writing a book about the Golden Isles. Just in the last few minutes, I'll just set the stage for folks. This is a historical fiction about a French character that comes over from France who he's only 18 when he arrives, but he had studied uh, or his parents had been an assistant to Louis Pasteur, who uh, was really the father of microbiology and mm-hmm. uh, and very pertinent for where we're at with COVID, uh, I think, and thinking about just how cutting edge it was in, you know, in 1880, 1885. Right. Anyway, he comes over and he uh, is coming over at the exact time when the Jekyll Island Club is being created. And for those of you that have never been to Jekyll Island or haven't studied about it, it was the West Palm Beach uh, of its day in the gilded, gilded Age. I mean, Pulitzer had a cottage there. J.P. Morgan, one of the Vanderbilts. I mean, these were rich Northeasterners. And so my character comes there. Uh, his parents had died in a fire. He's coming there because Pasteur knew John de Binion, another Frenchman who was running the club and owned Jekyll Island. And my character, uh, you know, gets to know 
former slaves and former slaves' children on various islands. And one of the things that I learned in writing this book, Casey, is about Tunis Campbell. And when when Sherman came through Georgia with field order number 15 and basically said that any black person between the Ogeechee River and Cumberland Island would get would get 40 acres and a mule. Mm-hmm. And and they got possession of the rice plantations. They didn't get title for it. And as soon as Johnson was elected president after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, Field Order 15 was reversed and all the land went back to the plantation owner. So Abraham huh. Abraham Lincoln's death had a tremendous impact on that. But we'll talk more about the book, Casey, as we as we get closer to its release date this summer. Uh, but it is just I bring in the Wanderer slave yacht that landed uh, on Jekyll in 1858, uh, which, by the way, was illegal. Uh, and if you think about if you think about what happened in 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 the UK when Wilberforce was there some 60 years before, they had outlawed trafficking of slaves. I mean, and here we are 60 years later, three generations, essentially, and we're still trafficking slaves over here. I mean, it was, it was incredible. But we'll talk more about this. I thought it was really appropriate to go ahead and just begin the conversation here in Black History Month. Yeah, very interesting. Well, Casey, thanks for being on today. And I look forward to seeing just the impact that the solar panels are going to have on Sapelo through the years. Hey, folks, you're listening to Energy Matters. Thanks for being a part. Hope you have a great day. Energy Matters would like to thank Gas South for its support of the show. Gas South has a no deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. Gas South, the difference is good. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your one, two, or five dollar checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forest Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations.